were singing that song, the Lord just brought to my heart that were some of you who have been under great, I'm going to say concern, but I want us to boil it down to what it is, fear. About some of your family members. And when you sang that song, it's like, but they're not following God. God's at work. He's at work. His Holy Spirit's at work. And faith is believing even when we don't see. And I realize people have free will. I'm not saying that we can overcome their will and make them be born again, make them follow Christ. But just if you don't mind, just join hands with somebody next to you if you can reach someone. If not, it's okay. Let's just come into agreement as a church family. For those who have loved ones, I, I just in particular children and mates, husbands and wives and children that are not yet following Christ. And let's let go of that fear this morning. Let's refuse it. We've been studying a covenant-keeping God. Because I don't know about you, but my kids being born again is not enough. It's enough to keep them out of hell. But we all want our family members, our mates, and our children following Christ in such a way that in these last days, they're walking in the wisdom of God, and they have the power of God to overcome the situations and the circumstances that this crazy world's trying to throw at them. So, Father, we come into an agreement right now as a church family. For those who have concern over their mates, over their children. And, Father, we ask that you do what your scripture told us to do. Pray for laborers to be sent across their path that can reach their hearts in a way that's real, not religion. And Father, if we need to keep our mouth shut and let somebody else do the reaching, then you tell us, you show us. We know that you have someone in their path. We're asking put someone in their path that can reach them real real not religion show them the love of God for them minister that to them in a way that penetrates their heart so that they can choose clearly we take authority over the darkness the blinders the spiritual wickedness heavenly places that have tried to blind their eyes from the truth of who you really are, your goodness, and that you've already judged all of those who are in Christ Jesus as righteous. And Father, I thank you that those that came in and sang that with concern, that the concern is gone and faith has taken its place. Therefore, we praise freely and we leave those other thoughts in the dirt. We thank you for it. We receive it as done in Jesus name. And the church said, Amen. 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 It's going to be a good day of celebration. Y'all can be seated.
I'm going to speak just for a little while about the covenant that we started last week. I had a great time last week. I don't know about y'all. But man, the word covenant, it's not just a legal contract. It, it's more, Christian, it's more than a legal contract. It's, it's not a contract between me and God. It's a devotion between me and God. And, and we talked about that extensively uh, last week, so I, I hate to go back over it again, but it's so much more than, than an agreement between us and God. It, the, the, we talked about last week, the commentary said, we don't have a word that describes the, the disposition of God when he said, I want a covenant with you. That describes his heart. Not, I want a contract with you, Mariah. I want a contract with you. You and I are fixing to make a, a contract together, right? The athletic. So that's an agreement. That's on paper. Uh, we're signing something. I'm giving you something. You're giving me something. That's a contract. But when the contract, a covenant, is made out of love, as marriage is, marriage is a covenant. In fact, I know we got kids in the audience. But it is a blood covenant. And that's why in the Old Testament, if a woman's virginity was questioned, they brought the sheets. Marriage is a blood covenant. That's why God asked us not to have sex before marriage. Because after, if, after, when you've had sex, then you're, you've entered into a blood covenant. And blood covenants are not to be dissolved or annulled. We'll teach on that sometime when we've got all adults. It's a very interesting study. Blood covenant's a strong word. We talked about God in Genesis shedding the blood of innocent animals to cover mankind's sin, making coats of their skins to cover them. We talked about Noah last week. The covenant that God made with Noah put his family on an ark that rose them above what was going on in the world and then brought them back down in safely. And I promised you we would talk about Abraham, I was looking to see if any of y'all remembered. I know James remembered because he already asked me this morning, are you going to cover what you talked about last week with Abraham? Yes, sir, we are. In Genesis 17, God asked Abraham, man, where do we start? Um, God asked Abraham and every male eight days old and up to be circumcised as a token of the covenant between God and them. This was the cutting of the foreskin of the males, and it, there was bloodshed. And in entering this blood covenant with God, man would be devoted to God, and God would be devoted to man. And this is one of the beautiful things about covenants. It doesn't matter if you're in a tribe. If you're in a tribe in another country, and you cut a covenant with another tribe... And, and I even used gangs last week, and they're ungodly. But why, why do you get in a covenant with somebody? It's because you've got something I need, and I've got something you need, so we're making a covenant together so that we're both. it's a win-win. We both get an advantage out of it. And we don't often think about God needs you. When Jesus went to heaven, he made you the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is supposed to do the works of Christ. And that's, there's no pride in that. 
Because we can't do them without Him, without the Holy Spirit, right? Without His Word. But He needs something from you. And the last question I'll ask you today when we get through with this is, what does God need from you? What does God, what does God need from you? What do you need from God? Man would be devoted to provide what God needed and what God desired. And God would be devoted to provide what man needed and what man desired, even to the death. Now, this was the, this was the clincher about the blood covenant. Even to the death, if you needed my life, I was to give it to you if we were in blood covenant. Anybody old enough to remember old westerns? Thank you. Oh. Maybe there's a third of us in here that can relate to this. But do you remember the old blood covenants they would cut between the cowboys and the Indians? And they would draw blood. And then they'd put gunpowder in it. So, you young people. And then they would put gunpowder or something in it so it would create a mark, a scar. And then years and years down the road when somebody was about to get killed, or they would be like, ah, oh, it's my blood brother, you know. And it would be a reminder of the covenant. That's what circumcision was. It was a token of the covenant and that God cut with Abraham. We talked a little bit about last week about Abraham driving those birds away from uh, some of the sacrifices he had made. And I'm not, it's really hard not to preach last week. But long story made short, God needed to show. This is what God needed. God needed to show man was willing to give his son so that God could legally give his son. We talked last week about Satan being the accuser of the brethren and how he came to God about Job. He marched his little self in there and said, Ah, Job just serves you because you've given him all this. Satan's always challenging the legality of of God's goodness. So God has to get Jesus into the earth legally where it cannot be successfully challenged. So God's in covenant with Abraham, and God is needing man's greatest need as a Savior. God's greatest need is relationship back with mankind. God's going to do it through a man named Abraham and a woman named Sarah. If you will remember, God had given Abraham and Sarah a promised child. They were old. They had never had children. They were childless, plus they were past the age of bearing children. And God promises them a son. Long story, but in the end, Isaac is called the son of promise. He is the promised child. He was conceived miraculously. He is a type of Jesus. He is a foreshadowing of Jesus. He is the promised son. He's the beloved son, the scripture says, and he was miraculously conceived. Go with me to Genesis 22, and that's where we'll pick up the story, because we have eight people, I believe, to baptize today. So we won't spend a lot of time here today, but we're going to try to get Abraham covered. 
Genesis 22, verse 1. I'm reading out of the King James Version. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now that word's going to bother you if you know the scripture because you know that in the New Testament tells us that God doesn't tempt man. And so, but when you look it up, I put it in parentheses in your notes if you get your notes from the QR code in the entryways. That word means to put to proof. He put to the proof. God put to the proof Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac. Now you all know he had a son named Ishmael where he kind of went off grid and went against what God said. God doesn't even consider Ishmael. For this type to carry through, of this being a type of Christ, this has to be his only son. And he is the son of promise, and that's what God calls him. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell you of. It's not go offer Isaac. It's go offer Isaac specifically where I tell you to offer him. Now, you can do a study on this. There, when it says one of the mountains in Moriah, good name, by the way, right? Guess what mountain is in that range? Calvary, where Jesus would be crucified. Mm. God's pretty smart. Is that an understatement? Go offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell you of. Offerings always have a return, by the way. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and he saddled his ass and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. Now Isaac's not a kid at this point. He's in his 20s. They guesstimate he's in his 20s. He's a man. And he claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, now when we've studied tops and shadows here, you know anytime you see three days, it's important. It, it, look and see what he's trying to say there. We'll talk about it again here in a minute. I just want you to circle that. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young men, You abide here with the ass, and I and the lad, Isaac, will go yonder and worship and come again to you. This is why he's called the father of our faith. Because he has full belief, and Hebrews 11 will tell you this. Abraham fully believes so much in his covenant with God. He has so much faith in his covenant with God, that if God says, I'm giving you a son, and through that son, you're going to have a huge lineage, and Isaac doesn't have any children yet, and God says, you're going to go offer him, you're going to kill him, and you're going to burn him up. Abraham has so much faith in God's covenant with him and his word to him that he tells those other people standing by, we're going up there, we're going to do this, but we're coming back. Mm. 
Man, yeah, go read it. Hebrews 11. In the hall of fame of faith. That's powerful. We'll go yonder, we'll worship, and we'll come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it upon Isaac, his son. Isaac's going to carry his cross. Took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and he said, My father... And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. So prophetic. Not just... God's going to provide a lamb. No, God is going to provide himself as your lamb. God's going to become the lamb. Behold the lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, Together, And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. That that phrase always fascinates me because I would love to see that order and to see if it's in the shape of a cross. He didn't say it, but he said he laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son. If you'll go read the crucifixion of Christ, he was bound before the crucifixion. And he laid Isaac on the altar upon the wood. How old's this boy? How old's Abraham? He's in his hundreds. Isaac's in his twenties. And you're fixing to bind him and lay him on wood to be a sacrifice? Let me tell you something. Isaac understood covenant and Isaac was willing. Jesus understood covenant and Jesus was willing. In fact, Jesus said no man could take his life. He laid it down. He bound Isaac his son. He laid him on the altar upon the wood and Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Do not lay your hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. Oh, God's making a point. It's coming, buddy. Remember when he made that promise to Satan in the garden? There's one coming that's going to break your power. Now he's proved Abraham that man would give his son for God because God needed him. Now God can say, God said, I need Isaac. Now Abraham, mankind can say, 
we need a Savior. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to die for us. And it can be legal. Thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Sound like a crown of thorns to me. Arkansas, we know what a thicket is. A ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and you have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. This is the strength of covenant. I mean this. And y'all, we, and the scripture says we have an even better covenant than what they had. Built on better, established on better promises. And you know, when he was telling him, because you've done this, it's going to be your, your descendants, your heritage is going to be like the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore. That's you. Every born-again believer came through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And I know I tell you all this, but I mean it. When I go to bed tonight and I walk out and I see the stars... Every time I think about it, I say, I am a star in Abraham's sky. I am one of those that came. We are the seed of Abraham. That means we're his lineage. We're his heritage. And it all started right here because he was obedient. He understood covenant. And that's why I keep saying our culture has got to get a hold. I'm sorry if I forget to look up at the balcony every now and then. (laughs) Our culture has got to get a hold of the true meaning of covenant. The true strength of covenant. If we're going to understand it and our faith is going to be strong to depend on the Lord. If he promised it. And we have a blood covenant, not through our blood, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. As I said last week, we have a God on the both ends of this thing. The man representing mankind here was also the Son of God. Unfailable. And he made it with God the Father. And he chose to let us in on it. We get in on it by accepting Jesus Christ as our substitute. He's my lamb. He's my ram in the thicket. He was Isaac's substitute. He is my substitute. And so it doesn't depend on 
well, the covenant just can't fail unless I quit it. And then I just X'd myself out of it. It's not that the covenant fell. It can't fail when it's between God and Jesus. Just got to stay in Jesus. Where Abraham, you know, he'd mess up. They'd step out. They'd, they'd do things wrong. But you know what? God was still always faithful. Now man has given God his only son. The son of promise at God's request. And God has proven Abraham. God can now legally, without question, give his only son, the son of promise, for man's need. I thought about Jesus. He understood covenant. And when he was in the garden, before the crucifixion, and he said, Father, if it's, if it's your will, you know, if you can't, let this cup pass from me. But he understood if God asked of him to give his life, since he was in covenant, see, Jesus functioned under the covenant, the, the Abraham's covenant. He was Abraham's seed. That if God asked him to give up his life for mankind, it would be required of him. And when God said, yes, I need you to do this, they were in covenant together, and Jesus did it. He was obedient to do it. Now today, we're celebrating people who have accepted Jesus as their substitute. That Jesus died for them. That his blood was shed for them to be in covenant with Father God, I don't think there's a stronger way to celebrate it than baptism. Because when we look at what it means to go under that water, for our lives to be buried, and for us to come back up living His life, letting His life live through us, that's the ultimate so this isn't just a, a cute thing that we do. Jesus commanded that we do it. It was so strong, it wasn't a request. It was a command. We make disciples and we baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And we are picturing something incredibly, not just beautiful, but something incredibly powerful. You have a covenant with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. That means what you need, actually, He's already provided. And you're receiving it. And now what does He need from me? Because when we go in that tank, we're saying, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to do what His Word says. And whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor, whether you're an attorney, whether you're a janitor, whether you're a, a mom at home raising children, God's got a job for you. He has a calling for you. He has a purpose for you. And when we go in that tank, we're saying, that purpose is important to me. I'm in covenant with God, and what you ask of me, I'm a yes. 
It's our yes. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it is Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. You know what we're saying? Jesus, you gave yourself for me. I'm giving myself to you. And it's, we got the best end of the deal, folks. What we do is crucify our flesh. We're not being crucified the way he was crucified. We're accepting his crucifixion. And we are crucifying our flesh and doing what he says and asks us to do. You are in covenant with God. And as sure as his covenant was with Abraham, well, it's as sure as Jesus. That's how we have to build our faith on that. That when he says something, when he promises us something, that's how sure it is for him. We have to build our faith on that. Because we'll try to X ourselves out every way in the world as to why God wouldn't do that for us, why God wouldn't heal us, why God wouldn't provide for us, why God wouldn't... No, he already has. When Jesus sat down, God doesn't have to do anything else. You have to receive what he's done. We live the life of faith, not the life of works. And there's a huge difference. Covenant is a beautiful thing. We're not through with it. We're going to keep studying it. But today, we're going to symbolize some people having a covenant with God in the tank, all right?